Hello, welcome to the Market Weekly Podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined this week by Mark Allen, Senior U.S. Economist for BNP Paribas Asset Management, to talk about the outlook for 2021 in the context of the really potentially big fiscal stimulus that could be coming down the pipe uh, and following, frankly, the big fiscal stimulus that we already had approved in 2020. Of course, this is a pretty significant week and time following Biden's inauguration, and we have high expectations for change, both on the political as well as on the economic front. That said, we look around the country and we see U.S. infection rates are falling, but still uh, at pretty high levels. Hospitals under considerable pressure delays in the rollout of vaccines, uh, and the economic data also mixed or potentially concerning. Initial jobless claims still elevated and GDP growth expected to slow in the first quarter. With that landscape, then, it's easy to understand why investors, why people in general are looking to a big dose of fiscal stimulus to help accelerate things. So my first question to you, Mark, then is what measures exactly are in the new stimulus package and in general Biden's policy program and which of those matter most to the financial markets? Thanks, Daniel. So Biden's proposal is estimated at costing just under $2 trillion, which on top of, as you already mentioned, the $900 billion stimulus plan approved uh, over the Christmas break would really be an extremely large fiscal stimulus together worth something like 13% of GDP. And that's uh, extremely large and dwarfs, say, the size of the Trump tax cuts in, in 2017, 2018, or going back further, say, the Obama stimulus at, uh, in early 2009. So it's a very, very, very big program. In terms of the package that Biden has proposed, there are, I guess, three or four key parts to it. So first of all, there are a variety of elements that would help support households. So most notably, the most high profile being another $1,400 of stimulus checks, which is one of the kind of key campaign elements that was so prominent in the Georgia Senate runoffs in the beginning of this month. But also on top of that, there is uh, an intention to extend further the duration and scale of the federal emergency unemployment benefit system, uh, taking that out through the rest of this year, and proposals to change the way child tax credits are done. And then there are other elements to do with directly fighting the virus, an uh, uh, expensive and uh, substantial program to improve upon the rollout of the vaccines across the country, to improve the testing infrastructure and the supporting supporting elements of that. And there's also elements that are intended to kind of support uh, spending at public facilities at uh, state and local level. So there is intention to provide $350 billion for state and local government aid to prevent those uh, entities facing budget cuts through the course of this year and next year. There is a large sum of money for education to enable schools to reopen and to increase the number of children who are able to uh, be taught in person rather than, rather than online. 
And then there are various other other elements of the program, some of which are, as we might talk about, kind of being more difficult to, to pass through Congress to do with uh, increasing the minimum wage, um, the treatment of, uh, of a paid paid emergency family leave for people who are, who are diagnosed with, with with COVID. But the, the whole program is 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 really very substantive, and if it were to be passed in its entirety you'd expect it to give a further jolt to, to economic activity over the course of the next six to six to 12 months. Now you talked about how big this proposal is with the 900 billion that we got in December, talking 13% of GDP. You would imagine with figures that large, you'd see a big reaction, not only in the equity market, which arguably we have seen, but also in fixed income markets. But in fact, uh, treasury yields have fallen over the last week or so. Why do you think we've seen arguably such a limited reaction from the bond markets to a plan of this size? Yeah, so I think if you go go back to to say well, the pre pre November election and fixed income market and look at how it's evolved over the last last few months, there's been as as we mentioned these kind of stimulus program passed at Christmas and this proposal that Biden has suggested that Congress act on very very quickly and together they'd be very very substantial. Normally you would expect that to be associated with rising growth in inflation expectations, rising bond yields, and there has been some increase in yields that are up kind of 25, 30 basis points or so. But that's relatively muted in the in the in the grand grand scheme of things. And I think the Fed really is in, and the perceptions of the Fed's reaction function are quite key here. So the Fed's monetary policy framework at the moment is kind of divided into two parts. There is the ongoing quantitative easing program where the Fed has laid out the criteria or the guidelines that it will follow in deciding when to when to slow that pace of purchases and end them, and there they say they're looking for a substantial further further progress in the, in the economy towards towards their goals. Exactly what that would would quantify is that they haven't, they haven't specified, but I think most observers would say it's likely to rest upon a, a kind of holistic uh, view of the state of the labour market and how much of the damage that has been done over the course of the pandemic has has been reversed. So at the moment. The U.S. is down about 10 million jobs relative to where it was before before COVID hit early last year, and I think the Fed is looking looking to see a, a big chunk of that, perhaps even all of it, uh, be recovered before before they start to to, to uh, seriously contemplate tapering the QE program. That, depending on how fast growth is this year, could come later this year, but perhaps more likely to be sometime in the first half of of 2022. But the big experience that the Fed has taken, and I think many bond investors have taken from the, the pre-COVID years through 2015, 16, 17, 18, and 19, was that you can have a strong labor market with, with low levels of unemployment and kind of a broad participation in the labor market without it generating much inflationary pressure. And with inflation being so central to uh, the criteria the Fed has laid down for when the first rate hike would take place, just because the, the Fed could perhaps taper the QE program later this year or again more likely next year, that doesn't automatically follow that a rate hike would would come come soon afterwards. So you could imagine that growth is strong through this year, the labor market improves significantly, unemployment falls back down towards levels that we were more akin to seeing before the pandemic, but without kind of uh, generating inflationary pressure that uh, is sustained. It's not going to meet the criteria the Fed has laid out. This two sustained two percent and above inflation is necessary to get that first rate hike, and that disconnect between between the labour market uh, and an inflation that was in place pre-pandemic, 
I suspect until that people view that as having changed, it's going to be hard for the market to price many rate hikes in a great deal of urgency from the Fed. And without that, that really does kind of help keep the lid on on how far longer dated yields can, can rise. So you've talked about the Fed's reaction function. Has your view of when the Fed nonetheless might raise policy rates changed following the announcement of the big stimulus package? A big additional stimulus package will clearly increase the odds of a year of strong growth this year and speed the return of the labor market to the kind of conditions that prevailed pre-COVID. But it doesn't automatically follow from that there will be a large and sustained increase in underlying inflationary pressure. And it's that latter leg, the return of above-target above inflation that the Fed has made so critical to its assessment of when to begin to raise the policy rates under the average inflation targeting framework it's set out. They will want to see inflation above 2% for at least a year and expect that process to continue before they'll begin to tighten the federal funds rate. But just because the labor market has returned to a, to a healthy and, and buoyant state, as we learned pre-COVID in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, a strong labor market is not in itself a sufficient condition to generate generate strong inflation. And so the Fed and, and many other investors will be, be looking to see how inflation does behave. But uh, in of itself, a stimulus package is not not enough to, to justify a, a, a more a much more rapid and quicker uh, tightening by the by the Fed. Thanks very much, Mark. That's extremely helpful, I guess, as investors. If we think about what might be coming, on one hand, certainly going to be a significant fiscal stimulus for the economy if everything were enacted, as you pointed out, talking about areas 13% of GDP, uh, bigger than the Trump tax cuts at the beginning of his administration, bigger than the stimulus that was passed at the beginning of the Obama administration following the global financial crisis, that that would likely be comprised of stimulus checks, uh, maybe up to $1,400, an extension of unemployment benefits, other plans to combat the coronavirus pandemic generally, perhaps additional funding for states and municipalities, uh, other things, however, in the package, perhaps more challenging to get through a Senate, even though it's controlled by the Democrats, with still a significant share of Republicans, for example, uh, trying to convince them to vote for an increase in the minimum wage uh, and some other of the measures. That said, if we do expect to get some significant stimulus, the question remains, why haven't Treasury yields increased more than they have? Of course, there still has been a pretty decent move. But you point out, on one hand, of course, there still is quantitative easing from the Fed, even though it may be difficult to remember what things were like before COVID. Uh, we did then have a strong labor market with uh, still reasonably modest inflation meaning that if we do get back to a better economy by the end of this year, thanks to the stimulus and a stronger labor market, it doesn't necessarily follow that inflation accelerates all that much, and hence nominal treasury yields staying lower than you might have anticipated. In all of this, at some point, of course, the Fed will need to tighten, uh, and maybe that date's come a little bit closer uh, with this expected stimulus, but really not all that much, given how much time it likely is to take to get the labor market uh, fully back to where it was, or even somewhat close uh, to where it was before the pandemic hit. Well, that's all for today. 
Thank you very much for listening in. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. My thanks to Mark for sharing his insights. Please join us next week when I'll be speaking with Ed Lees, co-head of our Environmental Strategies Group, to talk about the outlook in 2021 for the environment and certainly increased funding for the environment is another one of the big expectations that investors have following Biden's inauguration. Until then, we wish you a good week and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.